Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Bourne, and with me today is Renee Birkenshaw. Renee, how are you? I'm really well, thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. Excellent. Hi, Renee. I know some of your work and what you've been up to, but for those who don't, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what your background is in relation to health and safety and what you're currently up to? Yeah, absolutely. Before I kick off, I would love, though, just to take a moment and just to acknowledge country. So for myself and my company, Originate Coaching Consulting, we'd like to acknowledge that we work and meet on Aboriginal land and pay our deepest respects to the traditional custodians and elders, past, present and emerging. For me, I'm actually on Duck and John country on the beautiful central coast of New South Wales, and I'm very privileged to live and work on this land. We really recognise and pr- protect and promote our First Nations cultures in all the work that we do and the engagements we have and we believe that so many of those elders and leaders will leave such a beautiful legacy and together I believe that we can all really make a difference in in creating that equity moving forward. Excellent. So a little bit about me. So I'm Renee Birkinshaw. I have a long and seasoned history in human resources. So, you know, when it comes to people going, wow, you know, what do you do? And sort of talk about HR and they go, gosh, you know, it's, you know, dealing with the hard stuff. It's it's actually really working through. You never really know what to expect day by day. And I think that that's sort of what attracts or detracts people from this particular industry. So 18 years in New South Wales government, primarily, and have worked in a variety of different human resources roles. My, my I suppose, greatest high points are really around HR partnering. And so really making those awesome and genuine connections with leaders, with our employees and our people and creating change. But then also most recently looking at culture and leadership and organisational development. 
Yeah. As part of, you know, my background with HR partnering, as you can appreciate, workers' compensation, employer relations, investigations are part and parcel of that particular area. So it's certainly something that I'm comfortable and, and somewhat familiar with as much as you possibly can be because, you know, every, every certain case always brings a unique shift to our way of thinking and we can never, you know, just look at things black and white and I think that that was my greatest learning working through ER cases is that there are so many shades of grey and we actually have to meet people where they're at and deal with that particular issue. Yeah look HR was one of those industries that I, I seriously contemplated going into because it's, it's such an interesting field but yeah it's kind of scary too I think I kind of kind of scared that <laughs> because you, you have some very serious implications. And if you mess things up, you kind of mess up people's lives. And the potential there for me, for me if if you do it wrong or you do it poorly, mm. it's tremendous. So, You're right. There's high risk and there's high reward. And I think that that's where if you're really focused on getting great outcomes for the people because, you know, we all work longer hours than potentially what we actually share with our own friends and family. And so I'm a great believer in, and one of the key principles of my own company that I established and launched last year, Originate Coaching and Consulting, is really around making sure that people actually are seen, uh, that they're heard, that there is a great sense of belonging in the workplace. And so our aim is really around supporting leaders to really engage with their people at a very deep level so that there is a sense of belonging and that people understand what their strengths are and how it is that they can be successful at work and fulfil their potential. Yeah, I've got to say, I've known some interesting types in human resources, some who are strictly by the book and everything is carefully considered before they make a decision or before they even say a word. The best HR person I looked after me a couple of years ago for two years and they went far beyond. They were actually talking about, well, they actually lived where they created a nurturing environment and a sense of mm -hmm. almost like family in the organisation where, yeah, they didn't do everything 100% by the book, but they nurtured and looked after their people. And it was, I, I was sad to leave that organisation simply because I was leaving that person. Mm. Uh, so I, I definitely think that there are opportunities there to, to sort of make a big difference in organisations with human resources. But I've also seen some, yeah, as I said, ones that are almost very scared to, to make decisions. But, yeah, a bit beyond me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. Originate coaching and consulting are your business. Mm. What's it do? What's it about? So our primary focus, and I suppose if I sort of think about our mission, more so than our vision, our mission is really around fostering psychological safe environments that actually uplift confidence and capability of leaders so that when they're actually engaging with their teams, they are able to implement really effective, inclusive leadership practice. And by that, it's it's about creating connection. It's about understanding and, and be, becoming curious. And I think that that's actually one skill that a lot of people don't really think about when they come to recruiting a leader or even providing feedback to leaders is that level of curiosity and creating a safe space where people actually can speak up whether they have an issue or if they've got an idea, you know, that they feel as though someone has their back. 
And it's quite interesting. A lot of where Originate Coaching Consulting came from, as we're talking about so many years of experience in HR, is having these experiences with so many leaders where they were even saying to me, I don't feel as though anybody has my back other than you. I don't feel as though my leader has my back. The executive has my back. I'm afraid to share things with my team. I'm afraid to get things wrong. And, you know, having that opportunity to be open, to create trust, to, you know, give them support and coaching around, well, how am I going to deliver that that communication, whether it is feedback or if there is a restructure, if there's change, you know, it's one of those things that I think a lot of leaders, unfortunately, have over time experienced a bit of a spike around the concept of bullying, and bullying is real. Yes. But there's this fear element of it. And I think a lot of people in this particular phase have an innate, whether it's conscious or un- unconscious, fear around doing or saying the wrong thing that might offend somebody or it might be actually then perceived as bullying, whether that's direct or indirect. And so they kind of feel stuck. They feel really frozen around, well, how, how do I actually do my job without it just becoming a transaction? And so that's where they start building this wall. You know, they're building these, these barriers around themselves. And it's really difficult to create trust if you're not necessarily able to be open with people. Yeah, yeah. I agree with 100%. It literally is. And I, I talk to people all the time and, and literally there's two, there's two types of leaders which seem to prevail when I come across them. They're the ones that I'm going to do it my way regardless and, to be honest, they don't care if they offend people or not, but I don't think that's a particularly safe or intelligent way to do things because they're just it's just like a bull at a gate. But then there's the other ones who are on the other side of the scar who are just literally walking on eggshells mm-hmm. and they're couching everything they do, you're right, in a transactional way, instead of actually being genuine themselves about building relationships with people, which engenders trust. And if management can't feel like that they can't, can be open and honest and have a psychologically safe environment for themselves, it's hard to see how they can provide it for those further down the chain. It, it, it becomes one of these things where we go to work and we just almost become robots. And I, I would hate to see that happen, but I actually do see a bit of that happening at the moment. Absolutely. And you know, as people are sort of talking about quiet quitting or you know the great resignation, a lot of this is actually not a new thing. Mm. It's purely that you know we're starting to actually see, I suppose, more of a spike where there's more of these behaviours actually happening. And so that you know they've they've coined a phrase around it rather than going actually it just comes down to disengagement. Mm. That people are not satisfied. They're not actually having some of those basic human needs met. And when I talk about you know really thinking about where do we really want to operate in the space of safety versus a space of, of agency and being able to really step into being more of an authentic leader, more of a situational leader where you can really look at the task, but then balance what are those relationships and how do I grow and enable and empower others? I always sort of think about, because I use the Human Synergistics Lifestyle Index a lot and that inventory a lot, and I always sort of place you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs over the top of that in thinking, if you really truly think about it, those basic needs 
of safety, security actually need to be met in the workplace before you can actually start to realise those elements of self-actualisation at, at the top of the tree. It's a, it's a difficult and interesting balance, especially as you rightly said, Tom, if they're not necessarily feeling safe and supported by their own leaders to create a space for their own team that is that. And I think that that's the key. And a lot of the leaders that I work with are really those in that middle management tier because they're the ones that are closest to the customer, closest to the greatest number of employees, and that they actually have this ability to agitate change. So if they're providing holistically and, and have that peer support pushing down what their expectations are moving up the chain, they can actually do that as a group. So rather than just being one voice, there then becomes power in knowing that this entire tier of leaders that are the successes for the future, but also are the ones that are closest to our people and our customers are finding that this is a way that they need to be and that they need to think. Yeah, I've, I've always found it was a late sort of seeing the light for me because I was fairly ignorant as a young person. But I've always found, once I started thinking about it, that any sort of business relies on personal relationships. It doesn't matter whether it's with your customers, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether it's with your staff, they all tend to rely on relationships. And I can tell you now when I'm, I'm trying to talk to people and stuff, it's about building a relationship. My wife's told me quite often that I, I just go, right, I really want to talk to somebody. I'm just going to blurt this out. And she's like, no, perhaps you should actually take time to get to know them first. And I'm like, oh, yeah, but she's, she's right. Is there, are we in danger that we're getting to the point where we're so scared to open up and be vulnerable, to make mistakes, that we are just losing all essence of those relationships, which is essential for business? It's an interesting one. And since COVID, I think a lot of people are actually really thirsty for reconnecting with people face-to-face. I was actually at a networking function last night and we were talking about this exact issue is how is this actually starting to have an impact on, you know, society, but certainly within a business situation, how are we actually prioritizing the development of relationships? More so than just thinking about the sale, thinking about an outcome. It's about how are we actually going to do the long-term investment in people to truly understand what is their, you know, what is their problem, but certainly, you know, what is their aspiration? And I think, you know, internally within an organization, we can take the same view and say, well, it's rather than just the outcome, the output, the transaction, the performance measure is to actually get there and to be able to sustain that and stretch it and grow it. I actually need to spend time getting to know people, getting mm-hmm. to understand what makes them tick. You know, what are their passions? What is What are their strengths that potentially they're not actually even using right now, but given the opportunity to be able to dial that up and best case scenario, apply it every single day, you're going to have greater elements of retention, greater elements of satisfaction, engagement. All of those things actually happen, as you rightly said, Tom, about leaning in and making more time for genuine connection. And it's quite an interesting one. As an example, a lot of leaders seem to default to, here's our one-on-one meetings 
our agenda is chock-a-block full of all of the, the work, the stuff, the task, rather than actually sitting down or flipping it to say, well, what is it that you need of me? Mm. How is it that I can actually support you to be successful? What is it that you would love to achieve by the end of the next 12 months? And then how can I help you get there? So imagine if all of a sudden on one given day, if all leaders actually just stopped and had that conversation, what impact that would have. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I know from my little bit of time in management, you know, performance reviews, are, particularly those mm-hmm. that take every six or 12 months, some people see them as a ticking box exercise, a purely we have to do this, blah, 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 you know, show me this and we'll all agree to this. And, and to me, that's the most wasted opportunity you have. It's, a, it's an opportunity to find, whether it's your leaders or your staff underneath them, what their hopes and dreams are, what they want to achieve, yeah. and then enable them to do it. Find out who is looking to progress to the leadership. Find out who wants a new challenge or if they want to go in a different direction. Because the real danger is, if you don't, they will just leave. They will just leave. The old story mm-hmm. about, you know, if you train people up, they'll leave. Well, if you don't train them up, they're going to leave for someone who does train them up anyhow. <laughs> then they stay and you don't actually train them. <laughs> well, that's, that's right. What's the impact there? Well, you have that thing called dead wood mm. because you, all your quality staff eventually leave and then you're left with the people that know they'll never get a job elsewhere, so they'll stay. So definitely um, it, it, I think it's one of those things that you've got to take seriously. Listen to your staff and then you know provide them the opportunity as much as you can. Do the mentoring stuff, which, you know, or one of the hardest things I found was ask them who they would like to be mentored by and then not take offence when they say, Mm -hmm. it's not you, it's so-and-so else. And you go, oh, okay, fair enough. (laughs) But your staff need, you should try and provide it for them. That's that's one of those things I I firmly believe. Yeah. All right. And there's one actually new sort of trend that's coming through. As you were saying about mentoring, just quickly, it's really interesting around that whole methodology of thinking, well, a leader as a coach, really at at the crux of it, it's about how am I stopping and listening and engaging and just asking great questions? How am I creating space and asking questions? What we then need to start to see is the mentoring is actually around storytelling. And as you're right, it may not be you, it might be somebody else, but within your network, you could even help with having those introductions. The third and final tier is around sponsorship. How are leaders actually speaking about people that they have 100% faith and confidence in when that that person is not in the room? How are they actually talking about these people and their capabilities and sponsoring them in a broader organisational setting? So it's just something that I've been really thinking about around, well, how is it that we're actually supporting leaders to be able to do all three of those things? Yeah. Yeah, just on a side side topic there, do you believe that it's only insecure leaders that lead with put downs and, and derogatory comments of those who are directly underneath them? I would like to say yes, but because we're all human, yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things. So to me, it's all about self awareness. So everyone's going to have weak moments. Everyone's going to have these, you know, moments where they're under pressure and that they might actually choose to react Mm. rather than to stop and pause and respond. I think the greater number of insecure leaders 
may actually default to a reactive space. And that's where I think, you know, working with people like myself, who's a leadership coach or, or HR consultant, will give them that opportunity to be able to learn more about what are those personal triggers? What are my blind spots? You know, what are those things that, you know, the stories that I'm telling myself as to why I will just quickly react rather than actually taking the time to be thoughtful and respond in a way that actually honours the situation and also removes subjectivity. And I think that that's you know, one of those greatest challenges that all of us will always learn about is how do I create this problem or this issue to be seen as objective? How do we actually pop it in the middle of the room or on the table rather than actually seeing it as someone's issue or someone's problem? It's not necessarily about that particular person. It's usually the systems that actually happen around that particular person. Yeah, there's a psychologist named Clive Lloyd, and he, he believes that leaders should basically possess three main qualities. And the first one is they have to be seen as being competent in their role. The second one is that they have to engender trust with their employees. And the third one is, is empathy. I think they're, they're pretty good points. However, if you're a new leader and you're starting out, is there anything that you could give some advice to people? when? They, because a lot of new leaders, they're promoted within because they're mm-hmm. very good at what they do, but then they get shoved into this leadership role, perhaps with very little support. They're just expected to know what they're supposed to do. And it's it's just a completely different ballgame. Being the gun at what you're doing is not necessarily... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Then you're going to be the gun sort of team leader. Is there any advice you'd give sort of either aspiring or new leaders? I think this is a great opportunity where we can actually re-onboard. So rather than just quickly putting them in the role going, okay, great, you've still got to deliver, there is not that actual transition of really supporting them around or understanding what is my leadership philosophy? How do I want to leave? How do I want to leave my mark? What is my legacy going to be? And actually doing a little bit of introspection initially around, well, who do I want to be and how do I want to show up? Mm-hmm. A lot of the other elements around, you know, how do I delegate or am I actually going to take action is something that will just come naturally and usually is probably the most tricky But when it comes to re-establishing yourself, especially if you've been in the same team 
for a, quite a prolonged period of time, you've already got established relationships. There might be now conflict in the fact that, you know, your direct reports were previously peers or friends and how do I actually manage that whole dynamic as well? Yep. It's really around taking that step back to understand what is my leadership philosophy? How do I actually want to show up in these moments? and helping them to reframe that around their level of self-awareness. You know, being reactive around task, that's going to be something that, you know, over time will actually come. And with some support and coaching, that's actually quite an easier thing to actually manage. I think it's really around how do I actually want to show up as a leader? How do I want to be known as? What do I want people to be saying about me when I'm not in the room? When we talk about sponsorship again, you know, what are the things that I want them to remember and how do I want them to feel? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I got to tell you many, many years ago when I first decided I was going to step up into a supervisionary role, I actually took two years. I actually took two years to think about what I wanted to be, Hmm. Uh, looking at other leaders and going, yeah, that works really well. That doesn't work. I don't want to be seen like this. I do want to be doing this. Two years. And I know a lot of people would not take that long, but for me it was really important because... I knew the leader I wanted to be, but I didn't know how to get there. And so I was just like, well, before I put my hand up and go into that, I'm really going to give this a solid think. And I, I'd recommend that for other people. Just changing tact a little bit. Psychological safety. It's the it's the buzzword in, I think, not just safety, but human resources field at the moment. It has been for a couple of years. It's one of those things we all look at it now and go, oh, it's a new legal obligation, da, da, da. The truth is it's not a new legal obligation at all. It's always been there, but it's just gained some prominence and it's you know now in some jurisdictions been formalised like that. Psychological safety. Is it a human resources issue? Is it a safety issue? Is it it, it, a case where in large organisations where they have safety and human resources, they should be working either side by side or together? What's your feel about it? It's an interesting one because in the business, some leaders will say, oh, it's a HR issue and just pass pass it over there. You know, it's it's too hard. I actually believe it's everybody's issue. You know, when it comes to HR, leaders are actually looking to HR to go, well, how are they doing it? You know, they really need to be the role models of this type of behaviour. And unfortunately, a lot of HR teams experience the same challenges as everybody else because they are all human. And usually they put themselves last in this whole process of investment. So the, the focus will always be, how do I support the business? How do I remedy these particular issues or these cases that are coming in? And again, it's very reactive. So we all have a real opportunity, but also a need for ourselves. So if we sort of think about it from a safety perspective, we, we need to make sure that we ourselves are looking after ourselves, but we are also then looking after our peers and our colleagues and then thinking about that broader system of an organisation. And it's if we sort of keep it within that space of saying, well, you know, if there was a puddle of water on the floor, would you walk past it and expect that a cleaner is going to clean it up? Or are you actually going to stop, put a sign up, get some paper towel, clean it up and then notify? You know, so there's always a choice. And I think that this is where when people sort of say it's somebody else's issue, it's a default around their feeling of agency mm. and their support to have choice. And so from a psychological safety perspective, I always sort of like to just 
pull it back down in saying, well, what are those nuts and bolts around that sense of belonging? Do I feel as though I have trust in the people that I work with, that I have trust in the systems, the processes, the policies, that they actually will be applied and that I will be treated in a way that I feel as though I can be myself. And I think that that's, that's the core issue. You see, there's so many problems, you know, floating around all of the time. And I always, you know, very simply go back to what does the code of conduct and ethics actually say? Yeah, yeah. And if, you... if we're actually behaving in a way that's aligned with that, we should, by default, have greater levels of science. So the code of conduct and ethics is really about the what? What is it? It's really around the behaviours. So our values, how are they? So the culture, I always sort of like to think about a simple equation is culture equals values plus behaviour. So it's really around your values in action is how we're then bringing something like our code of conduct and ethics to life. Yeah. Yeah, look, and if if, if you have clearly defined code of conduct procedures which are communicated well to staff the expectations are laid out clearly and transparently it's much easier but for a lot of safety professionals in particular this is all new stuff they and and to be honest they've now been told they have to manage psychological risks and psychological safety the same way they do physical safety and for many of them, I look at it and they go, well, how can we do that? How can we eliminate bullying and harassment? How do we eliminate harassment? How do we eliminate all these negative things? And I'm seeing almost the default from some organisations that it's just now becoming, we're just going to write a new procedure or a new <laughs> policy, or here we go, we'll mm. give you resilience training because you have to toughen up. We're not going to say toughen up, but we'll say, you mm. know, you, you're a bit of a wilting flower. You, you've got to be able to take the rough and tough on and stuff. And, and I, I, my worry is we're going to have organisations just load up people with more and more paperwork. Mm. And I don't think that'll work. I was, speaking to, I was speaking to one of my students yesterday and he said, at work, we have a 90-page policy about one particular thing. He said, I don't know it. I see, he said, I don't mean not to remember it, but it's 90 pages. Mm -hmm. I went, well, no one, no one's ever going to remember that unless unless there's some sort of savant. But how do you see? Because you've got you've got the experience in HR, you've got all that where you've had to deal with these human issues, and that's what psychological safety is about. It's a human issue. <sighs> How do you see safety professionals are going to be able to manage this successfully and give their people a safe environment to work in? I think, and, and it's not a simple issue, but we can take it as a simple solution. Mm -hmm. Sometimes just winding things back to being, as an example, and I always love to use this statement, is the behaviour you walk past is the behaviour that you accept. Mm. that is potentially going to have more of an impact than reading a 90-page policy on bullying, discrimination and harassment. And so it's really around how do we help leaders 
so that they feel empowered to be able to call out behaviour that is not aligned with the organisation's values. And so, yes, you can do training. Yes, you know, you can create policy and procedure. Yes, you can have amazing systems. But I think the greatest messenger when it comes to delivering all of those elements is really around people watch their leaders. Mm. If they're walking the floor and they see a leader, you know, say something that is derogatory, turn their back on someone, you know, verbally strip them down in the middle of an open office environment, instantly people are not going to ever feel safe with that person or think that actually that behaviour is acceptable. And therefore either I can do that myself or I need to keep my head down and just get on with the job because I don't want to be the next victim of that type of behaviour. So there is there is a huge amount of need, and I think HR really struggled with this for a very long period of time, is taking consequences out of a policy and actually applying them. Mm. And it's quite interesting when you actually look at cases or, you know, certain behaviours and things, you know, just on the floor. And in those moments where people don't feel comfortable we need to start to get underneath that and understand why. Is it a confidence issue? Is it a capability issue? Is there fear that's that's actually deeper beneath the surface? And so by having even just those one-on-one conversations, having a great relationship with your HR business partner as an example, that can actually create the greatest shift in sort of, you know, if one person, if one leader is going, oh, gosh, I've just experienced this or this is what's happening with my particular staff member, mm-hmm. having someone to talk to to really unpack it, normalise it, and then support them around, well, how do I actually now address that? So whether it is in the moment, if it's after the fact, how do we actually start to practice? Because if we don't start to practice, it doesn't have to be this perfect storm of I've got to, you know, have all of the skills and tools and understand the policy and do all of this training before I have an issue. Normally it is we're already experiencing the issues and therefore the solution is throw training at it, you know, throw policy, throw procedure at it, rather than actually having greater conversations around, gosh, this is a story that I'm going to tell you. This is an issue this is where I actually didn't take action. I failed. And by normalizing those learnings and sharing those learnings, instantly people will actually start to go, actually, they are human. And that when they are talking to me about this situation, they're more mindful around how they're talking about it. They're not necessarily going to be using the word you, you. They're mm-hmm. going to be talking about I. You know, how is it that this is impacting me, how do I feel about this particular situation? And to make that better, how do I actually help to create a better outcome or a better environment so that that can be done moving forward? So just little simple cues around language, you know, how, how is it that people are actually addressing these issues and making sure that there is that sense of, you know, seriousness, especially if it is a, a very significant or serious issue, we can no longer just push these away, sweep them under the rug, you know, those types of those terminologies. It's really important that they're actually starting to say, actually, this doesn't feel right and I need to address it and that they do so and that they are supported regardless of the outcome because we're all going to mess up. We're all going to make mistakes as we learn and change, but we have to take action 
and start it, you know, today by calling out those behaviours that we no longer want to accept. Good. Good. And I would suggest also being consistent in your approach to it and consistent across the various leaders might, you know, enable a bit more trust from your from, from your employees as well. I think a consistency when it comes to consequence, absolutely. Yeah. But when it's consistency in regards to issues or even something like flexible working, mm. I think that our greatest challenge this year is for leaders to actually become more agile, become more flexible in thinking, how do I actually find the right solution for each individual so that I can actually establish a great relationship and get the best out of them so that they feel supported and that they're kicking goals. Yeah, awesome, awesome. We are starting to run down in time, so I'll only have mm-hmm. a couple more questions for you. Oh, let's go with a tough one. Let's go mm-hmm. with a tough one. Sexual harassment, bullying and harassment, purely HR issues, or should these be dealt with as a criminal offence like they are? It's It's an interesting one because, again, we've been talking about it's everybody's issue. You know, it's not all of a sudden, hey, I've just witnessed something and I'm just going to escalate it to HR. Mm -hmm. Yes, there should be an open line of communication so that people feel confident to be able to double check. What does this actually mean? You know, is this, if as an example, where we actually see, you know, blatant sexual harassment to the point that potentially it is something that, if as an example, and I always like to use the pub test, if this was to happen Mm -hmm. to you in a public place, would you call the police? Yep. Is yep. this something that other people would actually take offence to or do you just go, actually, I've got to turn a blind eye because that's my leader, as an example, or that's a, a, co- a colleague of mine? And so I think if we just bring it back down to what is okay and what is not okay and calling out those behaviours, it's important that people feel as though that they are supported by the right people. And so HR absolutely has to play an active role in this. And I think that one of the greatest challenges is how do they manage these cases with speed? One of the greatest challenges that I've seen over time is that where we have seen bullying, discrimination, harassment cases is, yes, investigations do take time. Yes, decision-making is important when you have all of the evidence. But taking time around getting that process started or even gaps in the time of communication, making sure that people actually have what they need, it inflames the situation. It actually loses confidence and trust in not only the process but the people that are actually managing it. And then that's potentially where you'll actually see additional concerns being raised as part of that particular matter. Yeah, I agree with you about time. I've seen investigations that from the infancy go for months and months and months. And it, it, you know, the workforce actually feels like they deserve a bit better than it. I know process has to be followed and dot the I's and cross the T's, mm. but something's dragging on and uncertainties in the workplace for months. That's not a good thing. That's not a great environment to work in for anyone. Absolutely. And very similar to workers' compensation mm. where, Yes, someone may be out of the workplace, but the concern is the longer that they take to return to a workplace, it doesn't necessarily have to be the same workplace, it could be any workplace or a different team, et cetera, it actually exacerbates the issue. You know, it's going to have an impact on people's mental health, their sense of confidence, their ability to even feel as though that they are worthy to do their own job. And I've seen that 
with so many people, as even HR, you know, other managers where they've been out of the workforce for a prolonged period of time. Mm. And it has a huge impact on their ability to say, well, am I actually still fit for work? Yeah. And you go into this vicious cycle, which, you know, it, it's necessary to to address, but we have to come out with compassion and humanity. And, you know, even if you don't necessarily have an outcome or an answer, keeping those lines of communication open always and regularly touching base with people and making sure that they understand, you know, very similar to if, if something was to happen is, Making sure that they're aware of what is the next step. Who is going to be that that primary contact person? When are they going to contact? Making sure that you are committed and making sure that that process is actually followed so that people do have that sense of trust in what's actually happening, regardless of the outcome, is that they feel as though that they were supported and cared for through the process and that they potentially weren't necessarily already seen as you know there's been a, a, a guilty or innocent plead already put on people or you know that they they have to stay in a space of victimhood because that isn't healthy no no all right finally finally great answer by the originate coaching and consulting do you just service businesses in new south wales or if i'm wanting to develop and help grow my leaders in another state or territory can I can I use your services? Absolutely, absolutely. So being here on the Central Coast, being very close to Sydney, obviously a lot of my clients are coming from that space, but I've had the opportunity to work with um, organisations across Australia and even internationally. So our services are not only limited to New South Wales. We're certainly available and thank you to technology and similar to our podcast today, you know, through Zoom, we can we can do this. We can actually have one-on-one conversations, even facilitation of leadership development workshops can all be done virtually. So, you know, we always take a very flexible approach to the services that we offer. Excellent. And we'll put in the links in the bottom podcast, how to contact you, how to get in touch. All right, Renee, that's pretty much our time for today. So first of all, thank you for coming on and sharing your expertise and knowledge. Very much appreciated. I'm sure the listeners all appreciate as much as I do. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. So thanks, Renee, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks again, Tom. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.